Hello, and welcome to The Nod, a mindful motorcycle podcast. Once again, we will be diving into the archives of our own adventures and experiences, catching up on recent goings on. Why can't I say that all of a sudden? Well, you know, you, you did make the very official yeah. intro. We'll be catching up on stuff in the bike world. Uh, well, we're not actually welcoming a guest into the Den of Egos this week, but more on that in a minute. Yeah. Uh, as we venture through the rich world of bike subculture, we will delve into themes of well-being and mental health as we look to normalise and empower conversations and action. I am still Ben Bowers, and you are still Anthony Partridge. As far as I know, I haven't got a memo saying anything different. I had so. a quick check before we came in here. There you go. Uh, how are you? Uh, I'm I'm fantastic. Yeah? I'm fantastic. That's good to hear. Yeah. I've been racing cars. No. I've been uh, I've been doing a bit of traveling. I went out to the Nürburgring. Yeah. And uh, Yeah, we missed you. Yeah. We did an episode without you. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't know. I you just snuck that one in there. I was like, oh, who's this? What's what? Who who's this? We didn't we, we didn't yeah. get standard. We just had a guest, but No, I know you had a yeah. guest, but I didn't even know you did a podcast until until oh. I heard it. Well, you know. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Anyways, I was having a lot of fun. So definitely having more fun than you were. Well, yeah. Um, I mean, I was stuck in a in a dark room with Charlie Borman and you were out racing cars around a, a historic, iconic, iconic racetrack. Um, the lovely people at Bilstein Suspension. Are they paying me for that? Um, for that um, no, effort? but no, they gave okay. me some free suspension. Right, so, so I'm yeah, going to, you know. Repay the faith. So, so they invited me and Hells out to the Nürburgring. So we, uh, we put the new suspension on my car. Put new brakes, new suspension, new tires on the car, and drove it from here to the Nurburgring. And then we had, and I didn't know this was a big deal, but to have the Nurburgring all to yourself is a very, very, Rare. very big deal. Right. Like racers and people and companies and other brands they spoke to, they're like, "How did that happen?" Well. But Bill Steiner, what happened? They're one of the main sponsors of the, of the ring. And they didn't pull their money during COVID. Right. All their other sponsors pulled their, their sponsorship money. Okay. And they said, no, we'll keep giving you the money monthly or however their deal or yearly or whatever they do. Yeah. But they kept their sponsorship with them. They said, no, you can keep the money. And uh, so that kind of allowed them a little bit of uh, coolness. So they got, they got the ring for a day wow. for, some, for some VIPs. And you? I'm, 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 what do you mean, and me? I am happen to be Was one he invited for Helen, mainly? Yes, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Hey, look. Yeah. Doesn't matter. You got there. I got there. There was five of us out on the ring. Wow. And uh, so I was the only one out there in a manual rear-wheel drive, no driver, uh, you know, all, you know, old car, which was fantastic. Well, we, we got to go in GT4 race cars, AMG, uh, Mercedes GT4 race oh, car. Right. I, I chose, you could either go in that or you can go in the, there's a full works Golf GTI race car with uh, with the kid who has the, well, the world record. Yeah. The, it, yeah. But it's, it was the just a- wheel drives. So. Yeah. But yeah. It, but literally it's not a golf. It's just a roll cage with a golf looking body on it. It's a proper uh-huh. race, Volkswagen race car. After that, then they gave me a Volkswagen R track prepped roll cage, wheels, tires, brakes, all wheel drive. Mark 7 RR and I chased one of the 
race car drivers around the, the, the track. So I just pushed him and pushed him and pushed him. And he's in a like tooled up RS6 wagon, uh, Audi with, okay. you know, all track, yeah, yeah. track prepped. We put in a couple insane hot laps. He, he, to the point where we got out of the car and this race car driver that's got many records around the Nürburgring got out and he was like, dude, I was on the edge of grip 85% of that whole lap that last lap we did the guy the other four behind us they were gone yeah. and they were like m2 competition cars and like he got out of the car he's like you can drive a car i'm like yeah yeah he's like if you ever want to race properly yeah i'm serious give me a call and we've been chatting now about me so potentially you get your license, getting in a race car and going out to germany and racing racing at the ring that'd be fun yeah you may have worked out listeners, watchers, that Charlie's not here today. He is uh, off sunning himself in the Bahamas, um, so he can't answer the question. But I'm pretty sure he won a really crap Channel 5 driving competition show that was hosted by Chris Evans probably like 10 years ago or something, uh, maybe slightly less. And I think he was with Jody Kidd and a few other people. And I think he might have done quite well at it. But I might be... Giving him too much credit there. Well, there you go. You know, between the three of us, we could do, we can do, we get a car, do some endurance racing, you know. That's so. Anybody out there who has access to endurance cars or this race series, let us know. We'll come and do a, a test day. Yeah. And then see what happens. And then see what happens. Yeah, I'm up for that. If it all works, we can find some Sounds sponsors good. and uh, crack on. Yeah. Anyway, this is a motorcycle podcast, so we should talk about motorcycles for a little bit there's another empty space because we don't have a guest in the studio but we'll stay with us we do have a guest on the show who we sat down with a few weeks ago didn't we we did we did we had a call from our friends at triumph inviting us up to the factory in hinkley in the midlands triumph at the same time also very kindly lent me that Speed twin, Speed twin that we we talked about the other day. And the guy drove down from Hinkley to drop it off to me in the morning, got there about half past nine. And I essentially said, thanks very much. And then rode it straight back to Hinkley. Yeah. <laughs> I thought they were, I, I thought that they picked it up from somewhere else in England, dropped it off at you and were kind of like giving you a bike to ride and give them back and, and dropping it back off. No, it was, yeah, it wasn't that bad, but they had literally driven down the, uh, M1, drop it off to me, and then I basically rode it straight back. So we headed up to Hinkley to chat with a young man who was being inducted onto the Avenue of Legends, which is their little walkway into the factory visitor centre where they recognise people that have done amazing things on Triumph motorcycles. Uh, He was being inducted for winning the Daytona 200 last year on a Street Triple 765 RS. That was his second consecutive win, was it, it not? It was his second consecutive win. First one on the Triumph, though. I think he'd done it oh, on okay. something else the year before. But okay. back-to-back Daytona 200 wins, and okay. the first for, for many years for, for Triumph. So a big deal for them. So we hot-footed it up to the Midlands to meet the, I think describing him as a full-bore American muscle. Um, is American you muscle? Describe him? Uh, well, he was quite skinny. But, he's quite skinny. You know, he's like um, he's he's very. But he's very American. He oozes yeah. Americana. Yeah, yeah, definitely. In Other a good than way. Uh, yeah, he didn't have an American flag on his clothing at all. But, no, but, he was he was head to toe yeah. triumph clobber at that point yeah, yeah. for the uh, for the media <laughs> call, wasn't he? But um, anyway, we'd probably give him a name. His name is Brandon Pash. Yeah, he's a nice kid. He's he's young, obviously. You know, he's, I think but he's twenty. He, yeah, something uh, like that. Yeah, cheeky chap. Let's see what Brandon had to say. 
Here we are with Brandon. What's going on? How do you pronounce your surname? Posh. 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 Like posh bass. Posh, because yeah. it's double A, isn't it? Posh. Yeah, fancy, posh. you know? I like it. Posh. It's shorter yeah, than I thought good. it was going to be. Uh, we say it like there's an O. You know? Do you know the origin of your family name? Germany. German? Yeah, I was going to say, it's okay. definitely not a, an American name. Right? No, yeah. not German. Uh, my dad's side's only been in America for two, two uh, yeah, two generations. Oh, okay. Oh, cool. So, yeah. Brandon, have you, uh, just give us a quick background on who you are and what you do. Brandon Pash now, yeah. and where you've come from, just for the, the uneducated. The, the quick short story on it is, uh, I started young, two and a half years old, riding at my, my farm in New Jersey. Doesn't America. sound safe. No, we, uh, we had a couple 50s, like Honda 50s and a little track at home. Every day after school, it was straight, straight to, the, to the track. So uh, rode there. Kind of like a motocross track yeah, or like, yeah, a, yeah. like an oval track? Oh, uh, motocross track. Yeah. And I started racing motocross when I was four and just grew up racing moto until I was like maybe 10, 12 years old. And that whole time when I was like 10 to 12, I started also with the supermoto stuff on the asphalt on, on the mini bikes. And I was instantly better at that than I was on the dirt. So I was like... Forget the dirt. I'm going Sticky road racing. Tires. Yeah, the, the the asphalt was just a. Um, I had a better connection right away with my throttle hand and, and everything. I, I just had a good feel for it. And mm. once I started winning races as a kid, all you want to do is win races. And yeah, yeah. That, that was it. I went straight road racing and just come up the ranks just with the the Ninja 250s, Milwaukee 250s, and started just progressing. Come over here when I was 13 and did a uh, a couple British Championship races and the Milwaukee Junior Cup and. Wound up podium, podium in my second one, and yeah, I, every time I come over here, I, I podiumed as a kid nice. when I was at 13, 14, and went back home, did the Moto America stuff for a little bit, won the KTM 390 championship in America, and come over at the end of that season in 2016 to do the uh, KTM World Finals at, at Assen in the Netherlands, and finished third in the world that year at 16, and yeah, that, that's one of my favorite tracks in the yeah. world. I've, I've been going there since I was 13 years old, almost every year, and that was a really good year, kind of a stepping stone for me to get up onto the bigger bikes and the next season jumped into Supersport in America and right away from the first race finished fourth and was, was battling with the front boys and wound up getting fired three rounds in from the Suzuki team and come to BSB and I was just all over the place in 2017 and kind of found my home in the British Championship in the BSB, met some people over here and I was like, this is what I want to do, I want to come to the Moto3 Championship here and 18, rode a Mahindra in the Moto3 Championship and finished fifth in the points or something. And uh, missed a couple rounds due to shattered wrist. Right. <laughs> my first pole position and crashed in the morning warm-up before the race and shattered my wrist and missed the end of the season. Ouch. Yeah, I think my, my first year maybe I had one podium all year. One podium, one pole position, broken wrist and crushed dreams. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> back to America, very upset. <laughs> and, uh, That's it, game over. You know, yeah, I, I wound up, actually somehow got a better ride for the next year on a KTM and come back and smashed it. Just the first three out of four races I won and, and just kept knocking off the wins. And I was like, okay, we're, we're gonna win this championship. Won the championship, done my first ever MotoGP race, was the first American ever race in the Moto3 World Championship. It's been a pretty hectic since then, to be honest. That, with the whole world kind of going upside down with COVID and yeah. losing my track a bit as, as far as my career goes, like kind of not doing what I originally set out to do. And, yeah, yeah. and it's, uh, it's been kind of a big circle, really. Like I left America to, to get away from it and come to a gnarlier championship and race against the best guys in the world. And 
now I'm back in America, racing in America, and trying to reset my career kind of at the moment in the Stock Thousand Championship and try and get back to Europe at some point. It's really interesting. You've spoken a few times there about the path and, and what you want to do and opportunities. And from a young age, you I guess all you've known is racing. So just go back to that bit first. Why do you think it was that at four years old you started racing? What was it about racing? Because a lot of people ride bikes and they just love riding bikes, but yeah. they have no appetite to be competitive at it. But you, ah, from a very early age, what was it that ignited that fire yeah, in you? Growing up, like as a little kid, just watching on TV all the time, like supercross, motocross races, and um, world superbike as well. World superbike was always on my TV in my house, watching Hoggle win races and stuff. And you, your parents. Um, Big fans. Or? My my uncle used to race an AMA in the. Right. They, they had a an SV650 like championship in AMA when I was a young kid, and uh, we always used to go watch and stuff. And I was always just brought around to the track, so I I was kind of addicted to it from a young age. And it sucks you in there, and you can't get away from it, no matter what you do. Like I've gone through a lot of injuries and been hurt quite a bit in my career, and you always come back. Quickly forget about the yeah, pain and. I mean, by the time you're healed up, you forgot how bad it hurt in the first place. You just thought, wow, I want to go ride. So yeah. you just keep coming back. And like I said, it's a drug. I, I read that you, uh, you you dislocated your shoulder recently. And uh, yeah. and then you decided to uh, do some research on the internet and uh, figure out how to reset your own dislocated shoulder. Yeah. How'd that go? Oh, it was great. I, um, <laughs> so I crashed at a test like, the week of a race. This was Monday. We're testing on Monday, and we're supposed to go race on a Friday. And that high-sided, knocked myself out, dislocated my shoulder. Don't even know how long I was knocked out for. Not very long, maybe a minute, a mm. couple minutes. And I woke up like leaning on a concrete wall, and my shoulder was just like, uh, oh, something's off, something's wrong. in the right here. place. And I just stood up, and I was like, yeah, I can't move my arm. This isn't good. And I get in the ambulance, I'm sitting there, I'm like, ah, this is just off. And I just bent over, and it popped back in by accident the first time. Yeah. Go to the hospital, get my head checked, come home, laying in the hotel, and put my arm up on a pillow like to support it a bit, shoulder popped out again, laying in bed. And I just looked over at my roommate, who's actually my teammate, and I was like, bro. <laughs> then my shoulder just popped out, and he just, he was like, what? And I stood up, and my arm was just stuck out to the side. <laughs> he, was, he was like, oh, I guess it did. So we're sitting there watching a YouTube video, like, how do we get this thing back in? <laughs> I go to the hospital again. And it turns out, you just, you lean forward a bit and just dangle it around, and it finds its way back in. You, you don't have to do the whole lethal weapon thing where you just I run know. at the wall and smash yourself into it. I always thought, like, when I would see people dislocate, I always thought you, you had to, like, like move it a certain way. Yeah. And I was like, hmm, they don't want to move that way. So I, I'm glad we watched a YouTube video and not just me sitting there pulling on my arm yeah, to yeah, yeah. back in because I would have made it way worse for sure. I, I did well, nothing that that bad, but well, that finger, that's the result of it. It doesn't straighten anymore. But that dislocated itself and was completely out sideways like that. We were riding enduro in, in the mountains in, in Spain. And uh, I, for those listening, because it's a podcast, Anthony's finger looks like a yeah, but, witch's well, well, yes, it, yeah. brush. Well, you can see it on, on, on the video. Um, those who watch it on YouTube, but, uh, my whole all my fingers are mangled. But but that one, you know, when you, you know when you get target fixation. So oh. come around this, and me and my mates were quite competitive, and no one obviously no one likes to be last, do they? You know what I mean? So we're we're up and we're flying around. And it's quite so it's really dusty. And I come around this corner, I see this massive rock, and like my mate kind of pointed it out, just kind of pointed as he went by it, and I kind of fixed 
fixed on it. it. <laughs> and then, you know, I had I could have went around it. Like there was the, the track was a meter and a half wide. I could have went around this thing. And uh, but yeah, for some reason I just went straight into it, and the bike went off a 300 foot cliff, and luckily landed like just got stuck in a tree and, and a bit of bush there and didn't go all the way down. Well, that would have been a really bad end of the day. Yeah. Um, but then I got up and uh, my, my finger was just like completely sideways like that. I was like, oh no, that's not good. So then so we, we did paper, rock, scissors. We're like, okay, who's gonna straighten it? And then my mate went to grab it and he just touched it and it just went ting, and it flicked back into, into place. Um, and, and it was all right, but we, I didn't tape it up. And then, so it was either two hour ride back by myself, back to, back to like the pub, or two hours with my mates riding to the pub. So I was like, okay, well, I'll, I'll carry on riding with you guys in case anything goes wrong. But every time I'd pull the clutch, my oh, finger would drop yeah. out again. So I'd have to smack it off my leg, pull, pop it back in. So it was just like, it was a, it was a grueling two hours. Of, uh, I couldn't imagine what a shoulder's like. Yeah, the shoulder, I actually, I'd done my right one. In 2019, I was racing a Moto2 at Valencia for uh, the Spanish National Championship, the CEV. And That's morning warm-up. Well. Yeah, it's a phenomenal track. It's like a stadium-style track. Yeah, it's cool. One of one in the world. There's not many like it. And morning warm-up, last lap of warm-up, I go through the chicane and just, as I went to the right, just lost the front. It's cold, right side tire was cold, and landed on my elbow like this, pushed my shoulder out, AC joint, and partially tore my labrum. And when I stood up, it just popped in on its own. Both of them was just both popped in as I stood up and went to the like to the medics of the track and they x-rayed and stuff. They're like, oh, nothing's broken. Go for it. So I went back out and raced and an hour after that, hour and a half after that, that was some of the most pain I've ever raced in my life. <laughs> I bet. I bet. That's uh, not the right way to heal a shoulder for sure. Don't don't ride an hour after because no. my right shoulder's never been the same. Going on to where I was going to before we got into the injury side of things. As you're growing up as a teenager in racing, looking to progress your career, how do you manage that? Do you have people around you? How do you set goals? And then how do you, from a resilience point of view, when those goals aren't achieved, how do you recalibrate? What is the process you go through and how do you meet? Because that must be really hard at times, especially over the last few years when just the world's been upside down yeah, anyway. It's, it's uh, hard, especially as a young kid, to keep yourself on track mentally, physically, and like, like keep improving, keep pushing yourself, it's really difficult. I've had some good people in my corner around me like kind of pushing me in the right direction. You hit a certain age, like 17, 18, 19, you think you know it all, you think you're smarter than everybody else, and you kind of push people out of your corner, and it's not the right move as a kid, you know? Like, Young there's definitely some regret come. for sure for me of just like going the wrong direction, not taking it serious, and, and push myself the wrong way. So, um, yeah, it's a learning curve for sure, as anybody, like, you're going to learn as a person. And for me, I had to learn the hard way sometimes, like losing jobs and losing rides and yeah. put myself in not the right position. But you just learn to get over it and keep your head down. You, you got to gotta have a good support system and people that keep pushing you forward. So for me, that's uh, an important thing is my family's always behind me and, and they're always pushing me. So mom's still making you food. You see your grandma, you see the puppies, you just... Yeah, it's it's uh, that's what keeps you going, you know. Like sometimes you gotta have that crew back home that doesn't give a shit how you do on the weekend. They yeah. they just care that you're there. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's hard to separate sometimes, like real life from from the the racing side of it. But it's an important thing to do, especially as a young young person. You get caught up in the the lifestyle and the parties and the <laughs> the going out with your friends and and all the wrong things, girls, everything. It's not good as a, a young teen. So. 
yeah, just keeping your head straight is really important. Focus. To me. Yeah, it's, it's hard to focus, and I struggle with it still. <laughs> I'm still going off the rails all the time, but you got to try and stay focused, remember your goals, and, and keep pushing towards them, which is hard for sure. So do you feel around the, the mental approach to being a professional bike rider? You know, we've had various different people on, on the podcast from, from Damon Hill to Shaky Burn, you know, these sort of older generation guys who my have... Boss. Oh, is he your boss? He's my manager, yeah. I'd better say nice things about Shaky then on this one. He's great, but obviously he's, they're different generations and they've grown up under... Like the world was... There was no social media, none of that stuff when, when any of them, you know, Damon Hill's 60 now and still fits. He's cycling like 250 miles at the moment. He's, he's a machine. But do you feel better educated, more empowered, more aware of the mental side of, of being a professional athlete and being a sports person in the public eye. Is that part of your training as well? Like, is there a mental aspect of training these days? Because obviously, back in the day, you were just crazy. You know, there was, yeah. no, there was no mental health wasn't a thing back yeah, then. Yeah, it's still... You know, now, now a, it's kind of a bit more like mainstream, you know? It's a double-edged sword, really. Like, people, people kind of went in on Vinales like, last year and the year before of just like, ah, oh, you're such a good test rider and you're racing and people come at you in the comments hard all the time like there's always going to be haters and shit like that so that side of it you honestly i feel like you get more heat on social media than anything like yeah, yeah. especially social if you're a, a young good looking dude that's winning races like people are gonna hate on you it's yeah, just yeah. how it's gonna be it doesn't matter whether it's go-karts or cars or yeah playing basketball it, it don't matter if you're winning and and you're young and people are jealous and people don't don't like seeing other people do good just how it is in the world, and mm. obviously being a younger Sad, person, isn't it? it's, it's it's hard to deal with that too. Sometimes, like people don't understand, like y- you've not lived in somebody else's shoes, you don't understand what they go through. So it's hard. Like, yeah, the the mental battle is always hard. Doesn't matter if it's now or if it's forty years ago. It's just now you can speak about it a bit more openly. Yeah, and like you see Olympic athletes and stuff pulling out of their competition that they've trained years for, their whole life for, and they pull out of the competition because the, the brain's not in it. So it is hard. It's it's really hard to keep your mind straight, but it's necessary part of it. And yeah, there is mental training for sure. And it's always good to let, to have somebody to talk to. You know, like I go to my best friend all the time. We we'll sit and talk for an hour a day, two hours a day, just stupid stuff that you wouldn't even think would affect you in in any sort of way. And sometimes that's all you need. Just yeah, get yeah, some yeah. thoughts out of your mind and and clear your head. You go train and you feel way better. Like, yeah, it's just strange. Like the mental thing is strange, but. It's, uh, it's something that is becoming more and more important, especially in, in athletes and, and younger people, because the suicide rate's going up as well a lot, in, uh, especially in America. Like, That's it's, like it's every, crazy everywhere, that, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's, it's not a, obviously it's not a good thing. And, and it, there's ways that like, other athletes can help, and they, a lot of them don't do it, but yeah, it's something that needs to be talked about for sure. Yeah. How did you get to the point with your best friend where you started talking like that? Because that's like, that yeah. is, this whole podcast is about mental health and well-being and empowering people the listeners showing them by example how you can do that and and what you've just described is the key to reducing the suicide rate. exactly what we try to push everybody to do you know it's hard like especially approaching like subjects like that with somebody it's it's, uh, it feels awkward it's hard so it's not easy to talk about you know especially as a guy like you're, you're taught like just man up yeah be a man don't worry about it be a man like get through it it's hard. It's okay to talk about it, but you got to have the right the right people around you to bring it out of you, you know? And yeah. you got to kind of know yourself as a person, I feel like. How do you think you've got to that point where you know yourself? What 
Has, there, has there been anything in particular that's <laughs> no, prompting that? Or? You know, I spend a lot of time driving in America. Yeah. And I spend a lot of time on the road with a couple of my friends. And you get really close with people when you're sleeping in a, in a an car, eight-foot yeah. van and you're sharing a bed with them all the time. And you just, it becomes like, you just have like a, almost a better relationship with, with somebody than anybody else in the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You feel like you can tell somebody anything. That, that's, that's who I always go to. I have t like one or two friends like that. And, that's what you need, really. Well, that's, why I, that's why I think, like, everybody, you know, like, at school, you have to do, you know, all these different courses. You have, before you graduate college, you have to do, like, an internship or whatever. A lot of, you, I think everybody should have to do, like, they should have to go work at sea for, like, two weeks or work in close quarters with, with other, you know, people, other peers of theirs. And, like, you know, like, famously, just when you leave leave school and you go out and you, you like have roommates that haven't lived with yeah. outside of their parents, so they're not cleaning their dishes, and then yeah. they get into big scraps because they don't know how to live well, together, and they don't, know, you know what I mean. It's another and, thing that's really and, like kind of pushed me to have to grow up faster, have to learn about myself more is I've got not booted out of my house, but I've been living in in Europe on my own since I was 15, 16 years old, and kind of had to figure everything out on my own. So yeah. it's, th there is I, I do have help as far as like, my career, but I don't have somebody there that's like a life advisor, life yeah, coach, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, I come from like a single mother home. Like we've, we're not uh, exactly the best example of a family, you know? Like yeah. We're, we're uh, always arguing and we love each other, obviously, but it's something that you have to learn on your own. And it's crazy when you spend a, enough time alone and you start to figure it out. You just pick up on things you're like, what do I need as an individual? And you start to learn yourself more and more. And, I spent so much time by myself in England, and it, it tests you like mentally and stuff, like yeah. for sure. Where are you based in in, in the states when you're back home? Uh, New Jersey, right on uh, the Jersey Shore, like 15 minutes okay. from the beach. Racing wise, racing in the states, racing in in England, Europe. You prefer racing in Europe in England? Yeah. So for me, obviously, uh, my goal is always get to the world championship. I, I think the tracks the tracks over here are a lot better. Yeah, it's not even that like. So the, the British tracks are very comparable to the American tracks as far as like they're, they're all dangerous. Not yeah, yeah, yeah. Off the pavement sh like they're just sketchy tracks. And These are always wet. <laughs> yeah, it, it's not like the tracks in England aren't any better or worse than America. That They're all very comparable. But when you go from BSB or Moto America tracks to GP tracks yeah, yeah. and World Superbike tracks, way different. Like, yeah, yeah. I've done the whole... Uh, like Spanish championship thing, living in Spain for a while, just racing in Spain, staying there by myself as well, Fantastic figuring that out. tracks there. These people don't don't speak English that well, and you're just you're trying to figure everything out, and that's like, that's where you really want to be if you're trying to get to the world championship. You need to be in Spain. Mm. The tracks there are amazing. Yeah, yeah. smooth. I lived half an, oh, an hour away from Jerez for 15 oh. years. I lived in Marbella. Sweet. And it was just yeah. yeah. I used to stay in uh, like 10 minutes from Catalonia yeah. from the track. So. We were in a really good location for training. You get like the Aspargo brothers are always that down there. Like, a lot of riders live in that area. Yeah, yeah. Not too far from Andorra, like an hour, hour and There's a half. whole world of pro cyclists and pro bikers live in and around so Barcelona, Catalonia. Yeah. Well, it's Andorra, just, don't they? Because they're, they're training the on the bikes in the weekend. That's where you need to be. Ideally, yeah. as an athlete, as a, a motorcycle racer or car racer or whatever, or a cyclist even, that's where you need to be really like. You're around the best of the best because they all go there for yeah, a reason, yeah. and they all train together and they all work together. If you're not training with the best, you're not going to be the best. So that's where I made the most gains in my career. Yeah. 
Sundays in Spain after MotoGP, like it's, it's just like it's well, there's more deaths on the road on motors because everyone turns into Marquez or Rossi. Yeah, you know all, what I mean? It's just like they're all GP riders. They're just every yeah. Everyone thinks they're a GP rider. It's beautiful weather. It's cheaper to transport by bike than it is by car. Yeah. In a lot of places in Europe, it's it's more of a, a motorcycle friendly environment. Like you go to America and everybody's driving on their phones, swerving all over the place. Yeah. You're on a bike, you're gonna get killed. Like it's not very safe riding yeah. a motorcycle on the roads in America. We were talking about this the other day. You can't like each state's different. Like, Florida's like the worst because you don't have to wear a helmet. Because that, because yeah, most cyclists are dangerous. Why do you need a helmet? But you're not allowed to lane split. <laughs> yeah. Like what? That, yeah. None of that makes sense. Yeah, it's it's also it's difficult in America too because all the states, like you said, are different laws. So you you drive into like Pennsylvania as well. You don't need a helmet. You can lane split. Like it's it's like the wild west. Yeah. It's, it's weird. So Brandon, we're here today at Triumph because you uh, you've got a brick. There's a stone being put in the, the pavement of heroes. I don't know what it's called. Yeah, it's probably the, uh, not a proper the, name. The walkway of legends. Oh, is that it? Called, yes. the, I prefer pavement of heroes. <laughs> pavement of heroes. <laughs> um, and that was for you one Daytona on a 765 triple. Yeah, this year was my second time in a row back-to-back winning the Daytona 200. Has anyone done that before? It's been done a couple of times. Just Scott Russell's done it. Oh, Denny Essex's done it. Never heard of them. Legends. Absolute legends. <laughs> I, uh, I'm, I'm in a very small window of people that have done it and... Next year will be my third time doing it, and I'll be the first one to ever do that. But no, it's, it's sweet. Winning it two times in a row is nice. And that was a pretty cool time. finish. I've seen the video when just when you won yeah. that. That was pretty insane the, uh, little timing. Somebody laid both the videos from last year when I won it and this year over top of each other. Like they, they put them like like of your line. So you, you of the uh, they they just put like the, the last like straight sync them up okay. and right. synced them up and same exact move both years in a row almost to a T. Now, the first year, I think I won by, like, 0.057, and this year I won by 0.007, so... That's about, what, two uh, metres in real time, about that speed? Yeah. yeah, just much, maybe. About a wheel. Foot, foot and a half, like, wow. won by absolutely nothing, and, yeah, it's, it was wild, that like, this year being the, uh, the first youngest to ever win it on the asphalt track at Daytona, and the third youngest ever to win it, so I'm, I'm taking up a couple spots on the youngest charts, and I think I'm second and fourth overall. Even including the dirt tracks back in the day, so wow, that's pretty cool, man. Yeah, it's nice being a the young guy up there. Yeah, and how does it feel? Do you know? Did you know the second like a foot? Yeah, I, when you're I doing what you're like, what 175 mile an hour. Yeah, we, we're doing 175 across the stripe there at Daytona, and and you're inches away from the, from the other dudes, and you can see yourself wild, feel the slipstream. Yeah. Man. So whenever when I got sucked into the draft, I was like, Shit, I'm I'm in a good draft right here, like. I might be able to do this, and I started coming around them, and I was like, okay, I think I got it, but I didn't really know, and right after I crossed the line, I, I kind of started to roll off, and Cam Peterson run into the side of me, and I was like, well, oh, it's definitely behind me if he just run into the side of me, so I looked up at the board, and 96 was on top, and I was like, yeah, baby, let's party. That's pretty nice feeling. Yeah, it, it's, a, it's a good feeling when you look up at the board at Daytona, and you're on top, but it's a special track. It's completely different than anywhere else we race in, in the world, and to win at Daytona is it's kind of like, like I grew up going there watching the races and it's a special thing when you can win at a, at a track that you've always wanted to win at as a little kid 10 12 years old you're going there watching like Josh Hayes Josh Heron race there and like, like the top boys from from the AMA Superbike days so to win there is a special special thing and especially against like this year we had a lot of the Superbike guys come back into the Supersport class K 
Ken Peterson, Jake Gagne, Josh Heron, all these guys come back from the Superbike class and to beat all these guys is pretty sweet. There's a bunch of Superbike champions in the class. Josh Hayes has won it four times, something like that, four or five times. And yeah, even Sheridan Marias coming from the World Endurance Championship lap. There's some serious dudes and to be able to come out on top against uh, even the current Superbike champ from America is, I did my job. I needed to win this year really bad because uh, I knew that people were already saying that. He's not, he's not going to win this year. There's too many fast guys in the class. And like, that's one of those times you got to have that mental fortitude and kind of shut it out and just get Don't the job Don't read the done. comments. Yeah, I, I read them just as like, look at this. And I'm laughing at it with my friends in, in my, my sprinter van. We're just sitting there like, yeah. look at these dummies. Don't even know what they're talking about. Yeah. Like, you, you just you brush it off. And I think it's funny. It's either laugh or cry. So yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you to laugh about it. But, um, but yeah, no, it, it was definitely a pretty sweet win in the 200 again. And what are the goals for this year then? What are your targets? How have you set out yeah, I, so the future now? This year I'm racing the Stock 1000 Championship and the Superbike Cup in America. Obviously the goal is to win a championship. Yeah. And ideally both. <laughs> it would be nice to win both championships and move up into Superbike full-time next year. That's my goal. And get on a factory team, win some races in Superbike, and get into the World Championship. And I think I can do it in the next three years, be in the World Championship. And you've got a fairly decent support team there now yeah. with Shaky Bird yeah, no, so behind I'm, you so I he knows a thing or two about yep. riding bikes and yeah, winning. He, he's ridden a couple bikes in his day I think yeah. so five or six time BSB champion so six time, he's an yeah. uh, yeah. absolute legend in the British championship community MotoGP ridden just about everything so being able to call him when I'm on a super bike and say hey dude I'm, I'm lost what do I do and he's like well try this try this try this it's, the it's nice having somebody there that, that understands kind of what you're feeling, what you're going through. So I have him in my corner, and then I'm also on the, the two-time defending Stock 1000 Championship team. So on a good bike and a good team, there is no excuse for poor performance. So it's my turn to uh, show my hand in the Stock 1000 Championship. Step up and, kind of yeah, I, I, there is no excuse for getting beat. It's, if, if I'm getting beat, it's on me. So that's... No pressure. Yeah, yeah. It's only the pressure you put on yourself then, isn't it? Yeah, I mean... You do I, the work and do the prep. Yeah, you, you kind of, you got to go into it like that. Pressure makes you work harder and it, and it uh, makes it feel a lot better when you win. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. It's been really lovely to talk to you and really lovely to hear some of your, your viewpoints and how you approach stuff and actually really refreshing to hear from someone without being condescending, you know, young, yeah. that gets it and understands the power of talking to mates and sharing their emotions and how that can benefit you and how it's so important to look after your mental health and deal with stuff and not compartmentalise it. Because if you want to be the best and you've got a focus and a target, having the ability to put yourself in the best position to achieve that, you're only doing yourself yeah, credit. And it's, uh, it's not just all on me. Like My, my best friend Casey has, has been uh, he's a couple of years older than me, so having somebody that's a little bit older than you kind of like explain to you like what what you're screwing up and and why and having somebody just gone through it just a few years just gone through it like learning from from somebody like that who's already your good friend and also does dumb like i do it's it's good because you watch it in real time and you're like well i shouldn't do that or yeah i should definitely do that you know like it's having a, a bit of an example there and yeah we both aren't the best kids at times but we uh, we're trying our best, you know. It's hard as a, a young dude. It can't be all. It can't be all work and no play, because like yeah. life, then life sucks. It's boring. I know some like other racers that are like, you know what I mean. It's like, eat, sleep, 
race. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. kale, salads, this, gym, train, sleep. And you're just like, and they have no, well, you know what I mean? For me, I've gotten a lot of like ridicule no over the past few years for uh, people saying that I don't try hard enough. I don't, I don't put in enough effort. I don't look like I'm training enough, but. Life's all about balance. I, I have a pretty good balance, and I feel like I have a good grip on, on how I need to handle myself. And if I'm not having fun, I'm not getting the best out of myself. And exactly. I know that. I understand that at a young age. And it's hard, too, because I'm kind of on thin ice. i got to watch what I do a little bit. But, yeah, I, yeah, I still it's tricky the pressure, because as soon as people invest in you, they have yeah, a vested yeah, interest I, and feel they yeah. own a, how, how you yeah. are. But they're buying into you as a person, you as a talent. And if you're going to, I think for me, if you're going to inspire... And motivate, and ultimately, any sportsman's job as a professional sportsman at the end of the day is to bring more people into You're the sport. You're an entertainer, right? at the end because of the that day. brings more yeah. revenue, which brings the TV rights, which brings 100%. brings everyone, uplifts everything. And kids these days, they they used to growing up on social media. They used to getting to know people. Yeah. They they feel like they're more invested in the individuals beyond just what people do on a yeah. track or on a football yeah, yeah. pitch or whatever. So if you're inhibiting, if you're the brand you sponsor and you're inhibiting your, your talent yeah, who's I, at the top of the game I from doing that, I you're doing yourself to, to injustice. The younger you? kids that I, I race with and that I like mentor or whatever, like, I try to help them out. I'm like, listen, like, you guys might be good, but if you don't have a personality, you're not getting people engaged, you're not like entertaining people, you're not getting nowhere in this game. Like, it's already hard enough when you're coming in as a, as a guy that's not got a whole lot of connections and you're trying to pave your own way and, and make your own future. And when you don't have a personality, you're not, you're not doing anything special, you're not going to get nowhere. Like, you're an entertainer at the end of the day. Yeah. Obviously, you have to win races. That's part of the entertainment. That was good, wasn't it? Well, fantastic. I forgot how good we are. It's not often we watch ourselves back, but it was nice to get out, though, wasn't it? To get out of the studio and, and get on the road. Yeah. Um, and thanks to the guys at Triumph and uh, Performance Comms for helping us out, setting all of that up. It was very last minute. Okay, hey, can was, you, uh, do, do you mind recording a podcast for us? Oh, and do you mind recording it video-wise? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's oh, like, we need two cameras oh. and yeah, microphones, and, and hopefully it, you know, it comes across all right um, outside of the studio. And, and certainly... We're hoping to do more of that sort of thing as we extend the series and, and go to the series Think Triumph will uh, just lend us their guys to, to go out and about. Yeah. We'll ask them. Yeah. Uh, we need to uh, bring in some more supporters and friends to help us along the way to get us out on the road. Yeah, if anybody's got a mobile podcast uh, equipment and, and they can do some uh, filming and recording for us and want to get involved and help us. Um, yeah, loads of money. For, yeah, for, for, for not a lot of money or no money at all just pats on the back, then uh, please get in touch. Us line. Yeah. So Brandon, he's uh, clearly a, a very talented and motivated young man. I mean, he's only known bike racing, really. You know, for yeah. three years old, climbing on a bike, racing at four, and then sort of his career as it's developed from then to up to you know, the, the top level national series at AMA and winning over here in the Moto3 uh, equivalent in the BSB. He's already had at 20 years old. I think he's 20. He's had some pretty amazing highs already. Yeah, yeah. And obviously, you know, living through some of those lows at the moment with his shoulder injury as well and not being able to race and try and get back to fitness. But uh, yeah, I mean, Christ, what were you doing at 20 years old? I wasn't probably, probably, no, no, I was, um, I was, I was, uh, as we say, uh, chasing the tail around. Right, smoking and drinking and and, uh, and and chasing tail. Yeah, is what I was doing. Yeah, I was probably the same. Mm. I was running a pub. That was it. I, I was I was also um, 
impregnating girls in Canada. You know, my my of course my yeah. daughter. Yeah, twenty, yeah. twenty. No, I was twenty one. Twenty one. So oh, well done. So yeah. Oh, excellent. And then uh, and I I didn't even know. Yeah. I, I uh, and then I left. I went to Spain. I moved to Spain and then uh, went home on ho- went home for holiday and found out my friends are like, hey, you don't know. I'm like, what do you mean? What? What are you talking about? It's like, you're about to be a dad. I'm like, what? I had no idea. Wow. Surprise. Yeah. We can dig into that later. But, uh, but that's, yeah. how I, that's how I found out. I was at a party with my friends. Jeez. I'd just come home on holiday. And, uh, and I, my friend walked in the door. Everyone was being really weird at this party because no one knows if, if they want to be the one to tell me or have I been told yet. So everyone's kind of being weird. And then my buddy, one of my best mates, walked in the door and he looks around. He's like, no one's told you yet, have they? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, what? what what's going on? Is there a warrant for he's, my arrest? And he's what? like, oh, yeah, that's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking immediately, <laughs> like, I'm, do I need to get out of here quick? Or am I, am, I, am I in trouble with the police again? And uh, and he's like, no, you're you're about to be a dad, bro. And I'm like, what? Four days later, I was I was a dad. Yeah. Crikey. I mean, that's a whole... It's a whole other podcast. podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm picking that. Yeah. Anyways. We're not anyway, talking about me. And, no, and, and but, uh, you know, what a you know, what an opportunity that is. You know, he's you know, traveling the world, racing motorbikes, having a great time. Yeah. What an amazing opportunity. You, you you can tell by the look in his eye and, and, and a few of the kind of like nods, like I, like I said, he, he's a bit of a cheeky chap, isn't he? And uh, you can tell he's, he's enjoyed, he's enjoyed the... The trappings of fame. Yeah, the, the fame that comes with racing, shall we say. Yeah, he's he's got a good balance, hasn't he? Yeah. Uh, you know, he's when he was talking about social media and the haters and all that, how to deal with that. You know, he's he's clearly keen to be on social media and build his presence. And you know, he might not be a bike racer forever. And think about, I think he's quite into his social mm. media and as as sort of a, a personal interest as well as. But not in an obsessive like kind of like a negative kind of way, because it can be. You know, social media can be a yeah. dark and. But he's clearly place. he's in a in a world where talent within professional sports is is largely encouraged not to be so open. Mm. He seems to have a good balance of of what he's happy to share and to actually give you know a flavour of his personality. Yeah. yeah, I think he rides a bike with his personality. You can see the sort of kid he is by the way he rides his bike. You know, he's always yeah, yeah. trying to pop wheelies and have fun. He's still you know in the back garden where he grew up riding bikes, even when he's out you know, riding Daytona. Yeah, he's, yeah. he's just loving what he's doing and he's not afraid to do that. He's managed by friend of the show, Shaky Burn. Yeah. And Matt Roberts. And I didn't, the, I had no idea until, until, uh, until he said that. Yeah. I wonder how one of Shaky's first protégés sort of within his stable, along with Brad Ray, and I think he's got a, another young 14-year-old who's winning championships all over mm. the place. Shaky, uh, obviously we, we know about his past and his growing up, so he, he's a bit of a cheeky chap as well. He probably so sees think, similarities. Uh, yeah, I, I definitely think there's some similarities there. And Yeah. So it'd be really interesting to see yeah, how he gets on stepping up to the, he's in the stock superbike races, isn't he? so he's on a stock bike, but he's in the AMA superbike Championship, so he's racing against mm. the Petrucci's of the world, who's cleaned up the first couple of rounds on the Petrucci's quick. He's well, he, you know, we always knew he was quick. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he's on, he's on a good bike, isn't he? So Petrucci's a fellow team member. He's a, he's a Revit race suit. That's true. Yeah, member. yeah. You know, we love Revit gear. We do. We do. head to toe in it most of the time. But yeah, 
be interesting to see. You know, he's uh, had a few setbacks. COVID's been tricky for a lot of guys and career-wise. Yeah, racing, like racers, you know, a lot of their money comes from sponsors and, um, you know, and racing. If they're not racing, they're not earning money, you know what yeah. I mean? Unless they're Valentino Rossi's and Mark Marquez's where, you know, massive endorsements are ride you through. But riders and racers at that level, you know, need to race. To it's a hustle, money. isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's a hustle. It's a real hustle constantly, yeah. you know, keeping your place, getting the team, trying to find the right, career path seeing opportunities I guess everybody ultimately wants to yeah, ride MotoGP but that's, that's and getting out on track as well like practicing you know what I mean if tracks are closed and you can't get out there and, and you can't get a team out on yeah. track well that's know, the interesting rusty. We, when when Shaky came in and we were talking to him he was saying the reality of the situation is you if you're not on a race weekend you know you have a Friday you get out twice Saturday practice qualifying and race Sunday mm. There's not a huge amount of time you spend on the track and you, you you might not ride the rest of the week. So, you know, compared to me commuting on a bike every day, I get more hours riding yeah. than than the racers do. So how do you, you know, hone your craft if it's always on pressure, the time and space and testing, you might get a few days here or there at pre-season because it all costs money and logistics and everything else. Plus, I think, you know, they limit your time in the seat you know, so everybody's the same, you know what I mean? Everyone has the same amount of time in the seat. He was an interesting guy talking. It was nice to see a young man sort of talking very openly about his his mental health and how he addresses that and being quite, you know, honest and understanding the importance of maintaining that and, and the ways, actually for a young man to, to have worked out the importance of talking to his mates, you know, stuff we talk a lot, a lot about on the show it was uh, riding home afterwards I felt quite uplifted and positive about yeah. about the things he was saying I love that about the youth of today you know what I mean there's a lot of things I can't stand about <laughs> the youth of today just like I'm sure our parents you know when like we, we were the youth pipe and slippers <laughs> exactly out there, oh, <laughs> youth of today. but you know what I mean I, I, I do I do think there you know we live in a, a fantastic world whether we love it or hate it the world as we know it has never been better than any time before that. You know what I mean? We have the best of everything available to us. And, you know, kids are really resilient and, and they're, they are quite open about sexuality and gender and race and, and everything that was, you know, different to us at, at that age. You know what I mean? It was all kind of a bit taboo. And nowadays it's just everyone's very open. And I think they talk a hell of a lot more than we do. Yeah, I think it's a really good example, you know, still needs a lot needs to be done just to empower those right conversations and create opportunities for you to listen and, and let your mates talk and uh, I think he was a good example of someone putting that into practice and seeing the, the value and benefit in it when you when you first go out and race you know what I mean you think okay well I need to be physically fit but like I never once you know I always if I'm going to race, I always get nervous. You know what I mean? The first thing I do, I, I put, I get suited up and you're like, okay, you're ready to go. I do up my leathers immediately within 10 minutes or five minutes of, of getting my leathers done. I need a poo. You know, <laughs> it's, it's just, it, it yeah, happens it's, all it's the a, time. Yeah, it's a, and it's just the nerves, right? But, it, but I never really thought about the mental, like I try to like, put my headphones on and kind of try to focus, remember the corners of the track, remember breaking markers, remember everything I can about a track. But then he was talking, you know what I mean? You have to be mentally fit. And, and I'd never, you know, I'd never think about that, you know, other than mentally prepping for the track, for the race. But yeah. he's like, no, your mental health is a, is a big factor and you know because if you got people slagging you off and and trolling you on the internet 
if you're thinking about that, you're not focused on doing the task at hand. You know what I mean? So if you have a bad race, what are people going to say? You know, there's always that pressure as well. And just being able to, mm. to address that, you know, whether that's internal pressure from a team or external pressure from the media. I think he was quite quick to acknowledge that you know, all of that didn't really matter. And having the friends and the family around you to support you was, was really important to, to put perspective on all of that. Big thanks to Brandon for joining us. Uh, a big thanks to Triumph for, for setting it all up for us. Look forward to doing We might be planning something more with Triumph. Watch this space. Yeah. I hope you enjoyed it. As ever, uh, please do like, subscribe, subscribe, share, say nice things about us, hit comment that, on social media. Hit the notification media, bell. Hit the notification bell. All of those things. We just do one of them. One, do one each week. Make it nice and easy. But uh, yeah, as much as we can... Spread the word about what we're doing. We'd be massively appreciated. Buy uh, some coffee if you like the coffee. Buy some coffee. Uh, it's absolutely top quality coffee. Honestly, we're really loving uh, making this podcast. We're really enjoying having the guests on and some of the conversations we've been having. Thank you for the feedback you've been sending to yeah, us. Yeah, the, the, comment, the comments really do help. They help with our sense of, of purpose as well because yeah, yeah. some of the comments have been amazing. Obviously, some of you have been uh, been entertained but also touched and, uh, and have stopped and paused and had a think with some of the things you've been hearing and we've been discussing links will be on everything so uh, do check those out for the coffee and uh, for motorcyclenews.com forward slash the nod join us next time when we'll have another guest and uh, until then stay safe be kind and do check in with a mate <laughs>